When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is the HTML All The Things Podcast. This episode is titled Project Planning for Web Developers, and we're going to be talking, just as the title suggests, about do you need to plan your projects? How do you set up your team for success? How do you set up your Kanban boards, or do you need sprints or meetings or this or that or whatever? How to organize your projects? Mike and I actually just had a meeting right before this about uh, a disastrous project planning thing so i mean i'm not going to get into who it is and all that but a disastrous project planning thing and so i'm fired up luckily this is mike's episode otherwise i'm going to be talking a mile a minute so if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show you can go check us out on that patreon leave a review or rating on your podcast app join us in our discord server or share this with your friends now mike why do you why do you need to plan your projects take it away yeah absolutely i think um this kind of kind of comes to me from an interesting observation that I've made, and that is that a lot of people seem to jump into projects without really planning them out. And I think I've we've done that too, Matt. Like we've we've had an idea, and we're like, let's just go, and then we just start coding, and then maybe like two weeks in, we're like, what are we making here? Like, what's happening? And then we just drop it, um, which happens like seems to happen pretty frequently. Like you just have an idea and you just want to code it. And I get it. I understand that we've done it, but realistically anything you want to succeed has got to have at least some planning to it. Right. So in this episode, I'm not going to go into too in depth, like all the different planning strategies, all the different Kanban boards and stuff. I'll talk about it at a high level. I'll talk about it a little bit, but the idea that I want to get into your head is that you need to come up with a system that works best for you and your team and even if you're just a junior developer and you're just starting on a project, maybe you have a couple people on your team, you need to start thinking at least from a planning perspective because that's going to add a huge value to your team. If you're just, if you're not just a doer, you're actually someone that will be able to take information and somehow formulate a project plan from it. That, that's a huge skill. Right. That could lead you to being a project manager. That could lead you to be a manager down the line, et cetera. Like it leads you to different paths in your web development career that maybe if you're tired of coding, you know, 10 years down the line, you could change your path and still have a good job in tech. Right. So it's an important skill to have and it really does lead to success. So having said that, what does, why do you need to plan projects? Well, obviously, like, Big one here is you need to plan to be able to finish because how are you going to finish a project if you don't even know what the finish line is? A lot of times in a project plan, part of that process is going to be defining your requirements and what your actual like end goal is. Like, what is this supposed to do? Like, if you're making a to-do list, a lot of people make to-do lists as their first project. Is your end goal uh, so that you can add a to-do and then delete it? Is your end goal that you can add a to-do and then maybe log in and 
from a different device and be able to edit it and delete it and stuff like that. Like what, what are you doing? Like, what is your end goal? Like a to-do list could be a million different things, just as simple as that. But as soon as you get more complex, it even get, it gets even worse, right? Like it gets even more complicated. You need to define something that you're building. And to do that, you obviously need to plan the project. Like it, it, a lot of what I'm saying probably is like, oh my God, like, why are you even telling us this? This to me is so obvious, but just look, think back on how you've approached your last 10 projects or you're, you're like even started if you're like just starting in web development. How, how have you have you started a project or you have an idea? Have you planned anything? Or have you just opened up the code editor and started, you know, whipping up code and doing stuff? So like you'll, I think you'll realize that a lot of times you are just opening up the code editor and you are just typing in code and trying to get something to work. But realistically, like you need to have some thought here. Planning will also set proper expectations on what can be done and when. And this is really important for everyone involved in a project, including yourself. When you start something, like if it's a client project or you're working for a company, it's a company project. One of the biggest and first questions is going to be how quickly can you do this? Now, if you don't have a plan in place, if you don't know what you're building, that that answer, like you can't answer that question. It's not possible right? You need to have something there that can show you a concrete, at least somewhat estimate of what needs to be built. And then with that, with, with what needs to be built, you need to come up with some kind of guidelines on when you can do it, right? A lot of times, I mean, with any kind of estimation, if you talk to estimators and, you know, contracting for construction or talk to estimators for any really industry, they'll tell you that estimates are just that, they're estimates. A lot of times you're not going to hit it. But to have at least some idea, and I always kind of suggest to overprom or underpromise, overdeliver, right? So you have some idea. If you can, if you're able to execute on a on a timeline, you're going to put yourself ahead no matter what you what you're doing. So this is part of that process. I do want to chime in here as well because you know setting proper expectations of what can be done and when is really crucial when you lay out the entire project especially when you're experienced in what you're doing. What I mean by that is if let's say you're working at an agency that does WordPress, you've been there for a while, the agency's been doing WordPress sites for a while. So the WordPress part is very mundane. It's sort of something that you should absolutely still have a plan and milestones, breaking big problems into little problems, of course. But that little procedure that I just said is going to be very mundane for you in the, for the WordPress part. Doing the WordPress part's mundane and planning it's mundane. You've done it a million times. But by laying everything out, you're going to find the parts of the project that are not mundane, that you may not have done before, that you find challenging, that you might, that you don't even know is even possible, maybe. And one of those things, which is possible though, is SEO. And a lot of people will say, oh, you know, let's get this great WordPress site up. You know, we have all these features lined up. We have an e-commerce store in there. We have a blog, whatever it is. We have all these great features lined up. It's going to look awesome. Here's the design and here's all our planning to do all of that. Then you sort of think about the SEO and it gets brushed under the rug. But the SEO breathes life into this design. It breathes, it breathes life into this project because unless your client is going to be constantly purchasing ads or has some sort of loyal fan base or user base, website user base, that website is going to get 100 views or less a month. And so if you are not familiar with SEO 
for that particular niche or you're not familiar with SEO at all or the client isn't and they're going to be taking over a lot of the SEO things, you need to be, as the web developer, need to be ready to sort of set them up for success. Things like going in and setting nice helper text in the CMS or having maybe making a little pamphlet telling them how to research keywords, at least at a basic level, ensuring that they upload open graph images and have proper header images and have meta descriptions and make them understand what keywords are and make them understand that they can't just use the meta because there's literally like a meta tag for keywords that they can't just use that anymore. That's very antiquated. That doesn't really work anymore. The last I heard it working was on Bing and I don't even know if it works there anymore. And so what they, what like what you really need to do is sort of you know, kind of guide them through that. And that part's going to be challenging for you because maybe you haven't, again, you haven't been in this niche, but it's going to be challenging for them in this example because they haven't done it either. There's a reason why they're sort of refreshing their project or maybe starting a new project entirely. And so the, the, like having a really nice, concise plan throughout the whole thing breaks those big problems into little problems. And it's arguably more critical to do that on things that you're not familiar with that are difficult for you or your client and things that are going to cost people money. It's going to cost you money, for example, as the web developer, like in time and labor and licenses, let's say, to spin up this client site. But it's going to cost them money to pay you, but it's really going to cost them money to not have good SEO. And I'm just using SEO as an example here. There's a lot of things in projects that you may not be familiar with. You might think, oh, WordPress can do X, whatever it is. And you have to research that. That should go in the project plan. It should be like, hey, we need WordPress to uh, generate a dynamic scientific calendar for us. We don't know if it can do a scientific calendar, whatever that is. We don't know if it can do that. So what we're going to do is we're going to put this in the plan and we're going to say, check if this is possible. If this is possible... Do another project planning session and we'll do and we'll plan for this scientific scientific calendar to be created in phase four of the project or after the MVP shipped or whatever. Planning out these things sucks. It's difficult because you're kind of being abstract. But imagine going into an abstract concept or something you're not familiar with, with absolutely no guidance and no breaking down of large problems. It's a double whammy that way. So it's really crucial that you go through those difficult steps. Yeah. And you're setting yourself up for failure in that situation. Like if you're going into it without getting all the information from your client, then you're guaranteed to have missed very big portions of it. Like Matt said, if you don't know who's handling the SEO and you all of a sudden are like, well, if I'm handling it, then I'm building this portal and this thing and this thing, whatever. And then all of a sudden it switches to being like, oh, I'm handling the SEO, the client says. And you're stuck with, first of all, you've spent a month building these SEO tools for yourself that you have not been able to like, you won't be able to explain to your client because they're all, you know, very complex tool related just for you. And now you have to pivot. If something, it's something you could have easily figured out in a planning stage where the client would have just said, oh, I'll, I'll handle the SEO. And then you have a totally different set of requirements for that. So it's a really, really important in this stage, just like with client projects, whatever, even even your own personal projects, I still recommend starting a planning phase. Like obviously you're not going to have as many miscommunications in that situation since it's your thing, but getting all your thoughts on paper, getting everything on or, or like in a document, whatever, 
is going to save you a lot of grief and time down the line, especially when you're having to like switch between learning and going back to the project and learning and going back to the project, being able to have a, a document that has a clear indication of where, what you're trying to build is a huge bonus. Like I, I guarantee you. And on top of that, I always kind of try to bring this, bring, bring this back to the job interview. When you're in that job interview and you've created those design documents, talk about that. When, if, however, they can bring, however you can bring it up, because I guarantee you that's going to be a huge plus as being like, oh, wow. So you, you understand planning stages as a developer, right? And that's, I, I can't emphasize enough how much of a extra feature that is on your own skill set, because even as a developer that maybe isn't part of the planning stage, just knowing how the stages work is going to make it easier for you to kind of interject and add additional context and be able to execute a stage of that plan, right? Because you know that it was generated based on these meetings and it was generated based on these diagrams or whatever. So now you have a way to kind of interact with that from a technical and non-technical level. Also knowing knowing and, and displaying to a pr- prospective employer that you know what questions to ask is huge as well. And if you're working for yourself as a freelancer, knowing what questions to ask, Mike and I have been a part of many, many projects where we get brought in as a technical only asset where it's like, hey, you do this and keep this thing up. We, and, and we've done that over the years for tons of different clients. The problem is, is that we, until more, more recently, have never really asked any questions. And then we get asked a question because the client doesn't understand that the SEO part, like literally writing the blog posts or whatever, is not a part of the technical side. So they'll be like, oh, how's the SEO doing? And I'm like, I don't know. You never gave me access to analytics. I don't write your blog posts. I don't do any of your header images, your meta. Like, I don't, I have no idea. And then it becomes this, uh uh-oh. And now it's a problem. Whereas now I would ask like, hey, do you need help with SEO? No? Cool. I'm going to write that down on the call log that you don't need help with SEO. So that if you come at me again, I'm going to say, hey, you you told me on this day they didn't need help. I can help you now. But it kind of helps mitigate that disaster a bit because it gets them thinking about it because they might reach out to you the next day and think, hang on, maybe I do need help with SEO. I'm not really sure what that is. And they might just text you and be like, hey, man, like I don't want to have a whole meeting about this, but is SEO this? And it really helps kind of smooth that stuff over. Absolutely. Exactly. Whenever when everyone's aligned and how to align them is through a design document of some sorts, right? So a, a, a thing that everyone can read and understand what you're going to be doing is how you avoid those kinds of miscommunications and how you make sure that everyone's on the same page. And that's, let's talk about that a little bit, right? Like, I'm again, I'm not going to dive deep into project planning and all the different methodologies that you can use. I just want to kind of get at it from a higher level and give you some ideas of what you need to kind of look for initially when you're first starting to plan projects. So how do you set up your team for success, right? First thing I really want to kind of hammer in here is do not overcomplicate these docs, Right. It, you're going to be tempted to put in as much information as possible, ever like kind of brain dump everything in there. And these docs are meant to be shared. And that's the key thing here. And remember, we've said that many times on the podcast, people don't read. And that same thing goes like email. People don't read emails. People don't read design documents sometimes too, even though they're super important. And obviously, not everyone needs to sign off on them. Um, they don't read it. But if as long as you keep it short, as long as you keep it as concise as you possibly can. So remove anything that doesn't make sense. Remove anything that you think is going to confuse someone. Remove anything that isn't relevant to the team, to the group as a whole, right? Like if you're talking about technology, 
what tech stack you're using, and your team isn't technical, get rid of it in the, in the design doc. It doesn't matter. You could be using Webflow. You could be using custom code. It does not matter in this stage, okay? Unless your team is technical, obviously, and they need that information. But like I said, use do the minimal required to get the point across, okay? So I'm going to kind of break down what I think is the minimal requirement, and you can add on to this as much as you want. But initially, what you need to do is you need to start by identifying all the stakeholders in a project. A stakeholder is anyone that's affected by the project's outcome, and that can affect the project in any way, shape, or form, right? So a client, your client that you're building the project for, that's obviously a stakeholder, right? Your boss, if you're working for a company, your project manager, uh, the, the team that's going to be using your project or the users that are going to be using your project, those are stakeholders as well. So anyone that is part of the process and is, is involved and will benefit from the outcomes is a stakeholder in this project. So identifying them, figuring out who are the people that need to be in the know, Obviously, you can't like all your clients and all, all your users, you can't like identify everyone and bring them in the know. But a lot of times when you're building something, it might be for a team, an internal team. So those users you can bring into a project for, for like showing them what, what you're going to be building. Or maybe you have a focus group for a larger project that you're working on, whatever. So those can be part of the process. So it's important to identify who you're building for and who's going to be affecting your decision making. The next thing here is make sure to set up a meeting with all the relevant stakeholders, right? So once you've identified the stakeholders, get them all in a room or get them all on a Zoom call. And here you want to have at least a, a foot forward in the sense that you want to have a document already ready in the like with a title there and some sections filled out, at least for a scaffold. Expect to delete everything that you have in that document initially. Right. But if you have something on the page rather than a blank page and you're presenting it to everyone, it's going to generate a better conversation rather than you starting from nothing. So have something ready for that meeting and be ready to lead the meeting if you're if you're the one planning it to gather the requirements of the project. This is where the most important communication comes in. The initial meeting. I'm very against meetings. I think they're necessary. And in this case, it's a very necessary, has to be live. Like asynchronous will not work for this, in my opinion. You can at me if you want, but it doesn't matter. You have to have that back and forth conversation in real time to nail down the miscommunications, to nail down the things that don't make sense, to iterate on the problem constantly, right? And obviously, when you're doing this, you need all the stakeholders there, but make sure that there, there are only the stakeholders there. So if there's like a middle manager that's not involved in this project whatsoever, do not invite them, even though that they might be someone that you report to or something, right? If they're not the one that's going to be affecting the conclusion of this project, do not make, make sure that you're not there because that could just add noise to the whole conversation. It should be a, you know, 30 minute, one hour, hour and a half at most conversation. And there should be note taking, there should be back and forth where you're trying to figure out what parts are necessary, what parts are what, what you like the client really, really um, thinks is necessary, but maybe you can push down the line. You're trying to figure out the phases at this point. You're trying to figure out the core MVP, like what you absolutely need, what's the core product. And you're trying to just get down every piece of information you can that everyone can agree on. That's the important thing because a lot of times you'll throw out an idea and three people will agree and one person will be like, no, that won't work for us. And then, you know, obviously you're not going to write down the stuff that doesn't make sense. 
you need to make sure that you're only writing down and you're only gathering the requirements that work for the group that you've selected. Once you have all this, probably a crazy amount of notes that you've written or someone else has written if they're taking notes, this is when you start creating that design document, a more concrete version of it. In it, you're going to need a summary. So just a really short paragraph about what you're actually creating. You're going to need a scope of work. And this is more like a a reference to what's going to be required to complete the job. So how many resources you're going to need, like how many developers, uh, who's going to be managing it, what kind of work is going to need to be done, development, marketing, copywriting, et cetera, et cetera. And then the most important part of this is going to be your use cases and requirements section. So this is where you're going to take that massive document that you just written and break it down into easily readable steps based on either screens. So how you organize your requirements or use cases is really up to you and up to the project. If the project has like a dashboard and has a user uh, interface and has like a non-logged in and logged in part, I usually break it down into like UI elements and then I'll list what needs to be present on each and what needs to be functional and present on each UI element. Right. So if there's an auth page, then auth would be one section of this document in, in the user requirements section. And under that section would be like user needs to be able to log in. User needs to be able to, and then another point, user needs to be able to reset password. User needs to be able to uh, switch to register, you know, like stuff like that. Like you want to concretely display what, it, what is present and what is functional on each page of the project that you're building. And then that makes it really easy when you go in and like, I'm going to work on the auth page. Well, what does it need to do? You go to your design doc. Well, it needs to do all these things. Perfect. You pass it off to your designer. They know what they need to build in for UX UI. So just having it broken down in very easily, easily to manage, easily to read like English sentences. You're not writing code here. You're writing English, easy to read sentences on what is required to make your project work. You're doing that also for non-technical staff a lot because they'll come up with questions in their head and I mean, hopefully they don't just immediately reach for an email or an instant message. They will go to the design document. And then if they still have a question after reading through that stuff, they'll at least have some context and they might say, hey, on point three, I'm just a little confused. Does this auth also have two factor included? Is there a two factor screen or do I just get an email and I'm not actually using a password or are we using a passwordless system? And, and that those type of questions is, are much more. Uh, helpful for the technical team is much more helpful for them because they have context. They know that you're working on it. They know generally what's going on and everyone is able to pull from that one document and able to ask you questions. And if you get multiple questions, you can always append the document with an answer to that question. And then you can also say, Hey, I've literally email the stakeholders or whatever. If you have a DL set up or just a group chat or whatever, and you can say, Hey, I've updated the document because I got a lot of questions about the two factor and how that's being handled. That's exactly it. So when when anyone goes in, regardless of the stakeholder, they should have a clear picture of what's going to be happening. Developer, marketing specialist, like boss, whatever. So that that's a really key point, Matt. Um, last thing here that you're going to need in this document, again, these are just the minimal requirements, in my opinion, is the phases and timelines. So like I was mentioning before, when you're going to be talking about it and gathering the requirements, most likely what will come out is like, this is not needed for phase one, or this is not needed for version one, but we want to have it eventually. That's where you put it into the next version, next phase. And this is where you define your MVP, right? So the first phase, you're going to define it in certain, in certain ways of like either just in a paragraph or just like a, a quick version one, 
dash whatever you whatever is the most important feature. That's usually how I how I define it. But mostly it'll be defined in the in your requirements section. In the requirements, when you're first initially creating it, you want to only include the MVP requirements. If you're if you're putting in anything other than the MVP, your most valuable most vi- viable product, then you're usually color coding it, saying that this is going to be in phase two or whatever. If it's crucial to like the the initial process of engineering, right? Otherwise, don't even put it in the initial requirements. This is where you put it into like the phases and stuff like that. And you'll you'll have another one of these requirements gathering sessions for each phase as you go along as well. They'll be shorter, they'll be briefer, you might have less people involved in them, but you're gonna need to define, like as you complete one phase, things will change. Like you're gonna be adjusting everything. You might even add something from the other phases as you're building because it makes sense. You might take stuff out, you might put it in a different phase. Everything will change, so you need to kind of update this, like create a new document or update this document as you go along in the process of the entire application. And there's something I want to bring up. I didn't know where to, whether to bring it up before the before we went through the whole uh, design document thing or now. And that is that when you're talking about an MVP, like a minimum viable product, you're starting from scratch generally. And maybe before the meeting even begins, if you're um, sort of the runner of the meeting, a main person in the meeting, you're going to be talking a lot. What I like to do personally is I like to bring up things that I'm going to bring to the meeting and it will give other people ideas on what they should bring to the meeting. What I mean by that is if I'm working on a new project for somebody and I know that the project, even before we've planned it, needs to be done quickly or needs to be done on a tight budget, I'll say to them, hey, if I have time before the meeting next week, I will ga- I will grab you some templates um, from the selected CMS that you that we use. Um, or, hey, uh, I know that we were looking at potentially using Squarespace for this. I know that we were potentially looking at Webflow for this. I'll grab a little bit of the pricing if that's relevant. I'll grab this. I'll grab that. And those things can just do it roughly, you know, just literally rough notes for yourself in a presentable enough way that either you can read them in the meeting or even show them. And what I do is I use those as as talking points because a lot of the time what will happen is you get into the meeting and because you're starting from scratch, a lot of the time things will get missed. Even when you do try to create the design document, things will get missed because you completely forget about a use case. Or things will stall out in the conversation where the beginning of the conversation will, instead of it starting at sort of a high point and slowly petering down to, okay, we've covered everything. It's sort of like, hey, what do we, what should we cover here? I don't really know. Well, let's talk about pricing. Well, we don't really know what the project is. So how are we supposed to dictate pricing? Instead of kind of starting there, I'd like to start at, if it's a basic website project, be like, hey, I know we talked about Webflow. Here's my Webflow templates that I've selected for you guys. Let's go through that. And then that sparks conversation on whether they want sliders and animations and do they want contact forms? Are these contact forms advanced enough? And it sparks all these bits of conversation. It also sparks, hey, how much are these templates? Oh, they're $100. Okay. You know, we can, we, we can, we can do that. But how much is the pricing tier on Webflow itself? How much is the hosting? Do they do the DNS? How, what, what, what about the IT department? Then they, then they get brought in. And so having those sort of key things, because what I'll do is I'll literally have my document up that I wrote for myself, just some rough notes. I'll let everyone, like, again, I'll let everyone know what's on the document roughly, but I'll use those every time the conversation stalls. Hey, we haven't covered this part yet. Um, hey, these are some, these are some technical concerns that, you know, maybe, isn't the biggest thing in the world. It's like, oh no, we have to set up a redirect, but I'll bring that up now just to make sure everyone's cool with it. And then IT might chime in and say, hang on a second. We actually can't do redirects that way. It's like, okay, good. Now we've discovered something before we, before the design documents done. Now we have another task 
done. Now we have another task that like needs to be, you know, added on. Um, maybe we need to have like a subdomain that needs to be branded differently. So our design document is going to change just little things that you may or may not cover in a meeting, but that spark that conversation that get people involved and then get all the stakeholders sort of, for lack of a better way, fired up to talk about it. And, and instead of us just sort of like spinning, like, well, how much, how much is it? How much is it? Cause a lot of clients will get spun up on that. How much is it question and not answer a lot of questions on, well, do you guys have your own email? I don't know what that means. And then it becomes a whole mess. Correct. Exactly. And the next thing here with, uh, with all this is you have a basic product, right? Like you have, you have your basic outline of what you're going to be creating at the lowest or at the highest level. You're, this isn't technical. There's nothing here that's suggesting what technology you're going to use. This is something where you obviously will send it off for review to your, t- to the stakeholders and you're going to get some sort of feedback. So ex- expect your first pass at this to probably be very rough in the sense that don't like, don't be upset that your stakeholders will come back to you and be like, this is wrong. This isn't how I meant it. This is whatever. That's the point of this conversation. That's the point of this document is you want them to catch your interpretations as quickly as possible before you start building. Because as you interpret that meeting that we had earlier, that's the stakeholder meeting, your interpretation might be wrong. And in fact, we'll probably, there's some of it as going to be wrong. The way we communicate, sometimes we just assume something when someone says a certain thing. And sometimes we just don't understand fully what we're, we're being asked. So we'll just nod along or something. And you'll take that as an affirmative. So like, for instance, let's go back to the SEO example that Matt mentioned. What happens if you're like just haphazardly, okay, well, the client will handle the SEO and the boss just nods their head. They might not know what that is. They're, they're just like, they're not in the, not in the conversation right now. They're zoning out or whatever, but you take that as, oh, okay, the, the boss agrees. Therefore, I'm going to run with it. Okay. But again, could be a miscommunication where you just put it in the design doc, clear, make it clear. And then send it off to the boss and they could be like, well, I don't know what this SEO phase is. And now you're, now you're like, oh, okay. They didn't understand what I was asking. Now I have to clarify. Now we have to redo that part of the document, whatever. But that's, that's the point of this. It's a quick way to get to a final approval for what you're building. Right. And that's what you want out of it. It helps, it helps budget people as well. Because if you bring, go back to that technical or go back to that SEO example, there's technical SEO, programmatic SEO. There's also, I, I call it working SEO, which is where you're, you're constantly sort of writing blog posts or you're constantly out there marketing, uh, whether it's social media posts or trying to do blog posts or updating blog posts or whatever. And you're kind of working it. But then there's a lot of sites that we work with where they set up SEO. And then they just go set up good technical SEO. They don't do any sort of programmatic SEO. They don't do any sort of working SEO. And then they just sort of sit back and they, they just let it sit. And they're, they're cool with a couple hundred hits a, a month. Like that, that, that's good with them. As long as their marketing sites get a couple hundred hits, they're happy with it. And those three different things involve three different people. Programmatic SEO is probably going to involve the developer. Technical SEO is going to have to be either taught by the developer, like, hey, go in here and fill these fields out or whatever, or, hey, I made some CMS stuff to help you, meaning the helping the marketing staff. And those three different things requires different people and a lot of different time as well. Because especially working SEO, you could be working at a site's blog for five years and, it, and you know, it, it still isn't at the results that you want. And it's like, okay, well, like, like let's adjust, let's do this, let's do that. You know, it, it's, it's a big time investment 
down the road potentially for a relatively small time investment now. Everyone wants to sort of go quick and not not talk about things and let's skip details and let's do that. And we we do have a a, a client that loves to skip details and it has cost it has cost this individual so much time and money because deals fall through, people don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening. His other workers don't know what's happening. And usually it's like, well, this is just going to collapse then. And then it, then, and then it goes away and that's it. And it's sort of like, man, all the false starts could have been saved by spending an additional one hour in a meeting that everyone was trying to avoid, which saved somebody a hundred hours of writing for the wrong keywords down the road. Exactly. That's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to avoid more meetings and avoid a bunch of time waste with this. So. After you've kind of hammered this this part down, you have the te- you have the the requirements for a a successful project. The next kind of planning part that you'll probably need to do is the technical side of things. So now this is only for your development team and probably your project manager, uh, maybe technical project manager. This is where you probably you'll need to do some diagrams, um, and it'll depend on the project. If you're working on a solo project. And it's just a really simple blog or a really simple little web application. You might want to play around with some like diagrams, maybe a flowchart or two or something like that just for fun and just for your own knowledge. But realistically, you might not need it because you have everything in your head. You understand how it's going to work. You're using already predefined systems in place. Like for hosting, you're using Vercel. And for author auth, you're using like uh, Clerk or something like that. Like all those have their own diagrams associated with them internally, but you don't need to know every little piece of it because you're just uh, a client of theirs, essentially. You're just using it as a very simple API, right? So yes, you could diagram it and that's cool. But at the end of the day, if you understand how the end-to-end flow works, you might be able to skip this step, okay? I want to, again, reiterate the point of do not overcomplicate. Don't make a diagram for the sake of making a diagram Unless you're working on a massively overcomplicated system, <laughs> this is the thing. Like if you're working for a corporation and there's like 20 different teams working on the same project from different perspectives, this is not a uncommon example. This happens. At that point, now you start need to think, start need to think about like doing diagrams for the sake of doing diagrams. Because if you don't, if you, this team, if your team understands it without a diagram, that doesn't make that doesn't mean that team C or team D understands it, and they might need to interact with it at some point down the line. Or if you're bringing on a high turnover rate of developers, you might need to explain to them quickly how to get spun up on that. This is where the more rooted, like this is where you want to diagram more than less. But if you're just working on a small startup and a small team, and you need to get stuff done quickly. Do the diagrams that make the most sense to you. So a lot of times I'll do like a technical diagram of your distributed systems. So like what tech stack are you going to use? What's going to be your front end? What's going to be your back end? What database are you going to use? How are they going to all connect to each other, right? So a really simple layout of all of your technical systems and how they communicate. I'll do something like a sequence diagram for certain things. So imagine an authorization process that's a little bit more custom. How is it going to like when a user clicks login, where is that request going to be sent? And what happens after your request is sent? Which server does the authorization? How to send it back? Like explaining that in a visual diagram sense, it will make it easier for whoever needs to build it, build it correctly. And with security stuff, especially, you want to make sure that the sequence of events is the right sequence of events and the right servers are getting the right information. And that's where this kind of, inf- this, these kind of diagrams can help a ton. 
Um, you might want to do some flow charts for, again, some complicated like user flows, like how is a user going to first log in and then how are they going to like post something and then how are they going to edit that post and what decision making are they going to have for them? Like, how, are they going to be like a yes, no situation? Or is there going to be, you know, five different choices for tags or something? I don't know. But regardless, when there's more steps than you can kind of keep in your head, especially. And again, if you're building it with a larger, with a larger team, like five, six people, you'll probably need to up your diagram game. This part will become more tedious. This part will become more time consuming, but it's going to, at the end of the day, come up with a better product. But you need to make that internal decision based on the requirements of the project as well. Like if the pro, if you need to build this thing in three months and that's it, that's the requirement, you're going to have to skip most of the step. Like you're not going to have time to fully diagram out. You're going to, you know, you're not going to be able to spend a month of that time diagramming every single system out. But if you have, you know, a two year span of you need to build a really complex system, that probably points to the fact that you need to spend a month diagramming or a few weeks making sure that you have everything done. So it's going to depend on your timelines. It's going to depend on your phases. You can also do diagrams post implementation. So let's say you need to get the MVP out ASAP, but then you have like a, a longer leeway to get phase two out. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll get the MVP out. It'll be, you know, quick and dirty, but then, you know, we need to create a distributed system for the next phase because we need to onboard another million users. Well, that's going to involve a little bit more diagrams and it's going to involve a little more thought, right? So you're going to need to invest some time into creating proper structure and proper flow. It's all dependent on your situation. Don't take a framework of, hey, I need to do all of these diagrams for this to be successful and apply it to every project. That's not how it should work. That's not how you're going to succeed with being flexible and fast and actually get something done in the end. This is another example of use the right tool for the job. If a diagram is literally going to help you or help other stakeholders, then maybe that needs to be done within reason of, you know, other time constraints and deadlines. But just because someone online or maybe your project template document says that you need a pie chart, but you don't have all the, the stats and it's going to take you two days to grab the stats and then no one's going to look at it. I mean, either push it off or don't do it. Use the right tool for the job. If that flow chart, if that, uh, cir that circle graph is not going to be a tool for anyone, if it's not going to help anyone figure anything out, then, I mean, don't do it. And that's exactly it. And this leads perfectly into kind of the final segment here, which is the sprint and scrum, Kanban, agile, waterfall stuff, right? This is not really project planning. It's more project management, to be fair. But I did want to touch on it a little bit because as you're finishing up your project plan, you might want to start planning how you're going to be managing it as well. Right, like how are you going to iter how are you going to iteratively build it, or how are you going to monolithically build it? However, you want to do it. Um, so I think it's important to at least kind of start thinking about this process during the planning stage if you're the decision maker here. Uh, so traditionally, like traditional systems like waterfall, agile, Scrum, or Kanban are frameworks essentially, right? So initially, like I said before, there's frameworks for doing proper diagramming and there's frameworks for doing proper project management. Having said that, again, frameworks are just that. They're just things that worked for a certain team, right? Or work for certain teams. That doesn't mean they're going to work exactly for your team in the same way. So it's important to understand the framework. So, you know, go in and take a read up on what agile is versus waterfall. Take a reading of how to how to implement scrum properly. You know, try it out. Try it out with a small team or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then 
be okay with iterating on that process as well. So if you if you like doing smaller sprints, so you want you like doing agile with Scrum, right? You like doing like a two week or a one week sprint where you have certain features that you want to build in those two weeks, and that's all you want to focus on. And then the success of that sprint will be determined on if you build those features. And then at the end of that sprint, you'll start another one and you'll want to build these features and you'll iteratively build. It's, it's a good system. Like I'm not saying it's a bad system. I've done it many times and I've had success with it. Um, if that's something that works for you, great, then stick with it, right? But if focusing on smaller pieces eventually lead to kind of a broken puzzle, which is something that does happen with this if you're not managed correctly, it can, it can often lead to just a overcomplicated management system where you're just trying to get as little done as possible to complete a sprint rather than trying to pack in as much as possible to fail a sprint. So it depends on who's running it. And the other problem with a a managed system like this is the managed part. Someone needs to be in charge of making sure that you're, you're selecting the correct features to build every week or every two weeks. That takes cognitive load like that that's not easy to do like figuring out okay john can build at this speed joe can build at that speed claire can build at that speed i can put this pro this task in here they should probably be able to do it. like that that does not take two seconds that takes time and a significant amount of time and it's annoying sometimes i've had to do it many times and honestly i don't like that part of it because first of all you're making massive assumptions on your team and yeah you get to know them as you as you go but even when you get to know them perfectly, stuff can come up. They can have a less productive week because there's kids sick. They can have whatever. And then, and then all of a sudden you're falling behind in your sprints. And then like you're making, you're, you're passing over a lot of the tasks to the next sprint. And then it becomes like this thing where you have to sit down with the person that's been working on the same task for four sprints and be like, what's wrong? Like what's going on? At the end of the day, usually what's wrong is that you've assigned them the wrong task. You haven't broken it up properly into smaller tasks. And now it's just a disaster. Right. So it's not a one size fits all approach. And I don't have a recommendation for you to be like, this is the perfect framework for you. What you need to do is you need to find one that works. And I think the best way to start, at least, is instead of starting with this complicated sprint methodology, what you do is you just create a Trello board or create a Jira board, put down all the tasks that you need to get done, right? Prioritize those tasks. And then just developers will start working on them, like the Kanban strategy, right? You break up the tasks and you start working on them. There's no two-week sprint, right? Like you're, you're just getting the tasks done and you, and you see how your team is doing. Two to three people, like you can manage that. Like you can see how they're doing. If, if someone is dragging their feet, then you can see it. It's in the board. Like you can see that, hey, the, this, this task has been sitting in the to-do column or in the in-progress column for four weeks. Like that's something that should be addressed. But there's not really much of a difference in the sense that like the sprint, what does the sprint add to that other than the fact that someone is consistently managing that process and micromanaging who gets assigned what and making sure that there's small enough tasks to be done in the sprint length time. Like, why do we need to set those boundaries if your team that's seasoned developers or even the seasoned developers and a couple of juniors can manage it themselves? And now you're eliminating, well, the sprint you're eliminating one, two, three, like, like pretty much three meetings a week at least. You can still have your daily standups if you want, or you can have asynchronous standups, whatever you want to do, right? That's part of it. But like, you can eliminate a lot of the management part of it. 
and still have a successful product in the end. So that's what I suggest you start with. But again, this is where you're like, you have to think iteratively and be like, well, this isn't working. Let's try something else and just find the approach and the combination of approaches that work best for your team. That's my biggest advice here is that don't rigidly follow a set of principles that are being taught as something that you need to implement to the nth degree. Find systems that work together and approach it in that kind of with that kind of mentality that you want to bring them together to make your system work the best for the developers you have. Yeah, it, it, it definitely comes down in this sort of like to sort of summarize all this is that it, it comes down to everyone has their own unique spin on things. Um, even when things are taught in every single aspect of a, of a procedure or a project management um, document or whatever process has been taught, people will do their own unique things in their head to organize things. They'll do, do their own unique little spins with their how they take their notes on the project document and the list goes on and it, it it just really like as the manager, if you sort of I mean manage it so that your team can manage the job, you know, dare to say manage a bunch of times, then that's that's the ultimate goal. Your your goal is not to impress the person that in, invented sprints and scrum and Kanban boards and every other thing, everything else. You know, if you if your team is working well with Kanban boards, great. If it's working well with just, I mean, Slack conversations, great. The goal is to finish the actual job. The goal is not to adhere to a, a, a specific standard unless you're held to that by some sort of regula- regulatory body um, or like maybe whether that's the government or your boss or something like that. But I mean, the goal most of the time, especially in the private sector, is is just to make the app. It's just to get things done. And if you get it done with just a few Discord messages, then you get it done with just a few Discord messages. You know, that's it. And the manager should be able to take a look at that and, you know, maybe crack some things and say, hey, you guys are kind of doing this fast and loose. That's cool. Could we, you know, have some updates on the Kanban board every now and then just when you're when you're hit a, hit a milestone, make sure you do backups, those little corrections and those little managerial things that can help help a team continue thriving in that discord environment, for example. But then, you know, there's just a little bit of things in there for for the stakeholders, a little bit of updates a little bit of security, um, security of work, meaning you don't have to redo things. If something goes wrong, you have backups now and stuff like that. And so, again, like the goal is to is to finish the job. The goal is not to um, the goal is not to, you know, impress the or impress or adhere to the project management thing. Uh, I mean, I, I've been saying this all season. I've been learning golf. And one of the things is, is that you go to the, the range to, to, to tweak or to learn your golf swing. But when you're playing golf, you're playing golf. You're not playing golf swing. Uh, and a lot of people will try to do that exact thing that they learned and like be like the PGA pro player. Don't raise your hands. Do this. No. Hinge your wrist. No, never hinge your wrist. Well, hinge them only at this time. Okay. Well, lag it. But now your hips are going and it's like Jesus Murphy. But if you just go out there and hit the ball, I mean, you're also playing golf. So, um, you're not trying to impress, you know, Rory McElroy or something out there. You're not trying to impress any sort of PGA player when you're out there. You're playing golf. And it's the same thing here is, you're trying to complete this project. You're not there to impress the project manager, the project management system creator. Who cares? That's exactly it. I think the golf example is really is a really good one because there's a billion different ways to do something, right? And there's a billion different frameworks, quote unquote, on how to be a successful golfer. But at the end of the day, like what works for McElroy and what works for Tiger Woods is not going to work for you, most likely. Like you're a different body type, you're a different person, you have different amounts of time. Like a lot of times it comes down to like, 
how much time do I have to bring it back to project management? How much time do I have to manage this project? Like I have three developers. We have these deadlines. Do I have a day a week to be able to sit down and plan out the next sprint? You might not. And therefore your, your decision is made for you in the sense that you have to make a different system work that has less management around it. The way it's a waste of time at that point. Yeah, exactly. So you have to adapt to the systems around you. You cannot take a system as gospel and work towards it. It just, it, you'll, you'll have less success. I'm not saying you're not going to succeed that way. That's the stupid thing to say. Like, obviously, if you really like sprints and you can work around this, everything that I'm saying, like you can make it so that it's a little bit less management, et cetera, et cetera. But again, you're working around it, you're adapting. That's part of it too. Like, that's fine. But it's, it, that's the process. So I think it's really important to kind of understand the systems. I'm not saying don't learn them and that they're bad, but I, it's also equally as important to work around the systems as well. I think that's where I'll leave it. And as a, I mean, I guess a comedic end, um, I can adhere, I, I can uh, attest to using the wrong system for yourself because I'm currently am sitting uh, on an angle because my hip hurts because I tried to do a PGA swing and hurt my hip pretty badly last week. There we go. So, um, yeah, so just do what works for you. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that concludes this episode. I hope you enjoyed. Um, if you have any, you know, sort of comments, questions, whatever, you can reach out to us. I've been actually active on X or on Twitter, whatever you want to call it, quite a bit. So you can reach out to me there. I'm also on the uh, Instagram as well. Mike is obviously on our main Twitter account as well at HTML Everything. Go check us out there and like let us know what you what you use to project plan, what your teams use to project plan. We're also on Discord. You can also reach reach us on there as well if you want to have a chat on there. But if you would like to if you but if you would like to support the show it sounds like it's like an afterthought but anyway if you want to support the show you can go check us out on that patreon that's patreon.com slash html all the things and many thanks to our three dollar tier patrons ryan gashel from blue black digital on blueblackdigital.com tim from the web hacker on the webhacker.com jason from geek life radio via geekliferadio.com michael curie from msu web studio via msu web studio.ca magnus from yes web via yesweb.se jeff on twitter via at then jeff McHale. Fire Ant Season via FireAntSeason.com, Gunner Burnett via GunnerBurnett.com, Watoto Coding via WatotoCoding.com, and Garrett Seagull. Feel free to leave a comment to review the platform you're listening to this on, and this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.